Radio presents The War Room, where we discuss tactics for strategic Christian living. Mighty Lord, extend your kingdom, be the truth with This is Bill Evans. Uh, I'm here in Franklin, Tennessee at Parish Presbyterian Church with Dr. George Grant, the teaching elder here. Uh, Dr. Grant uh, is he's from Houston, Texas. He's got degrees from uh, University of Houston and Whitfield and Knox Theological Seminary. And um, he's written probably 60 books, 50, 60 books and hundreds of, of uh, papers. Dr. Grant, welcome to the War Room. Well, it is great to be with you, Bill. Thank you. Uh, we, we've been trying to get this connected for quite some time, so this is a this is good providence. Yes, yes, it was. Actually, I, it was a, only a few years ago that it occurred to me that while I was traveling the nation, I ought to begin. I ought to begin to reach out. You know, uh, social media imposes very peculiar and unnatural rules of communication. Right. Nothing takes the place of just eyeball to eyeball. Amen. And and uh, so it's been a blessing for me. I've been the I've been the greater benefactor from the whole thing. <laughs> if I'm just getting a chance to meet and, and put faces to names and build relationships with men that I'd read or heard about. So Well we've met in the oddest places with I guess the last time uh, we saw each other was in, in uh, Trinity, Alabama uh-huh. at a little Bible conference there at Trinity Presbyterian Church and Right. Uh, so I but think, we have tons of mutual friends. Yes, and, and I think the first thing I ever listened to you uh, was Lincoln and Lennon. Oh yeah, I think it's the very first thing I ever listened to <laughs> by you. And I, of course, I was in, that was a hit with me because I'm a Southerner. You have written on such a broad range of topics of politics, economics. Um, as you as you've matured, as you've gotten older, and you're a grandfather now, and and a church planter, not just a pastor, but a church planter, and a missionary, and a conference speaker, and an author, and a, and a chancellor of a Christian school. And are, are there any other things you do that we don't know about? <laughs> well, probably, but uh, well, barbecue connoisseur. Oh, I am. I am most assuredly there. I mean, don't get between a Texan and his barbecue. That's right. That's a fact. That's right. So, but. Um, what have you, I, I mean, has your emphasis changed or, has, or have you? Well, I hope that I've grown. I hope that I have matured. I, I, I think that in my early years, there, there are some times when I wish I had had a level of maturity to, to either temper or to um, recast some of what I have said or written. But, you know, the... The theological foundations have not changed. Uh, when I first became a Christian, I did not grow up in a Christian home. When I first became a Christian, I was exceedingly blessed. The day after I committed myself to Christ, I went to a little Christian bookstore and uh, picked up some books off the sale table. It was a little Pentecostal bookstore. And uh, so they had really stuff that couldn't sell in their store on 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 the sale table and uh, it was mostly banner of truth stuff and i guess 
somebody had made the awful mistake for a little Pentecostal bookstore of ordering Banner of Truth books. Uh, but uh, that was my first introduction to Christianity. The first book I read as a Christian was Charles Haddon Spurgeon's The Soul Winner. So from the earliest days of my Christian life, I had these, uh, I didn't know what Reformed was. I didn't know the difference between, you know, denominations at all. I just started reading. I, I fell in love with Spurgeon. I fell in love with uh, the works that I've, I found from Banner of Truth. And that's what I, I started soaking in. And it took me a long time to be able to figure out labels uh, to, to call what it was that the Lord was building in me. And from those earliest foundations, obviously, I've tempered and um, I've, I've had, you know, changes of perspective on, you know, certain critical issues. Eschatology, for instance, I've probably had the most dramatic change from my early years to, to the present. Um, and, uh, but, but in terms of the notion that God has called us to apply the gospel to every area of life, I, I, I have not changed an iota. You probably, uh, I don't know what your early childhood goals were, but you probably could have had a career in politics. Well, I went to, to school to have a career in politics. I, I, when I first went to college, I thought I was going to be an architecture major. I love architecture. To this day, I'm, I'm very passionate about architecture. Uh, but I quickly realized that God was calling me uh, in a different direction, and I needed to prepare. I was very interested in politics. And so I, I, I'm a political science major uh, in my undergrad, um, I went all the way up and almost to the end of a master's degree in political science as well in Me Middle Eastern oil politics because I was in Houston mm -hmm. and that was a that was a big thing uh, back in uh, the 60s and 70s. So <clears throat> that was th that was my intention was to go into politics, but uh, by by about my junior year in college, I realized that the Lord was calling me into full-time ministry of some kind. And what I sort of hoped was that I might be able to do something like, you know, work uh, for a think tank or uh, perhaps a really good, you know, congressional staff or something like that. But uh, the Lord has a sense of humor and, uh, and had other ideas. Do you have, uh, you, in, in Tennessee... Uh, which is sort of a bellwether state. I mean, it's, um, um, I've got, I don't know if you know Scott Allen Bus. I, I, I do, sure. Yeah, Scott uh, works up at in the state capitol. Uh, he just switched over working for another representative. And uh, and I know that uh, Jeff Botkin is in the area, Jeffrey Botkin, who is, is a who's a thinker. He's worked in, in politics and in, 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 in... He's over in Centerville. Yeah, I think a similar mindset is you, uh, more of a Baptistic perspective, uh -huh. if you can call it that. But um, our, our, I think this is an important area. Franklin is sort of considered to be sort of the the heart of, what, Middle Tennessee culture? I mean, you know, with the music and the arts. It's, it's a tremendous center for the arts, obviously. Uh, it's not just country music. This is really the center for contemporary Christian music, most of the labels, most of the video companies are here. Mm -hmm. uh, there are 
uh, thriving film companies. And so a lot of uh, really remarkable uh, people gather here. Uh, Last night I was at the Ryman uh, and uh, Andrew Peterson uh, did his uh, annual Christmas tour concert. And it was like a who's who of the best bluegrass and um, you know, contemporary Christian players anywhere around. It was it was really quite remarkable. And I, I, I turned to my wife and I, I just said, you know, we we are so blessed. It's uh, it's amazing. I mean, even here in our church, we have extraordinary musicians. Oh no, you do. I was here yesterday for two services. One just wasn't enough, and um, it, it was it was it was like listening to a professional chamber ensemble it wasn't i mean i i have no problem with organ music but this was really a rare treat to listen and 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 what was interesting too is um you know your your liturgy is so diverse and rich it's got it's got every you don't miss a beat Hmm. you get every component now even the the um i noticed even the seating arrangement even the the ambiance of the where you gather there is a certain, I don't know, it's, it, it's, it's casual, country chic, I don't know what it is, but it's very, it's cozy. It's not high church, per se, but it's not low church. Now, I've wanted, I've wanted to visit here for several years, and, and any of my War Room listeners, if you're in Middle Tennessee or you're traversing this area, uh, you, you know, it's a blessing, obviously, to gather with the Lord's people anywhere, anytime. But what we what we strive for, I mean, you've touched on it. We we want intimacy. We want it to be warm, inviting, joyful. Uh, we we strive for our music to facilitate strong congregational singing, mm-hmm. and so the the musicians aren't front and center. Uh, they're they're off to the side so that. It's not a distraction. It's mm-hmm. not a performance. Mm-hmm. It is worship. Uh, we do have a liturgy, but the liturgy is intended to be lively and uh, flowing uh, without a lot of interruptions, and it's intended to be confessional. Mm-hmm. We want to uh, hold to the the standards of the Reformed faith in a way mm-hmm. that is immediately contextualized to our community uh, and and accessible to our folks, but not dumbed down and uh, not watered down. I was reading about Chalmers in, 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 in anticipation of this meeting, and it was the fact that they were talking about Chalmers preaching. Your form of preaching is almost like you string words together in a way it's almost, it's like a guy watch, watching a guy do sleight of hand or doing <laughs> card tricks with words. <laughs> So well, it, it's it, it, it's it's uh, it, it's entertaining. I mean, your 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 st- your way with words is entertaining, if even if it were not for the fact that they're that they're pretty potent. But um, in, in talking about what we wanted to talk about here, and um, and these were um, this was a quote from Chalmers. What is the most effective? And I thought I'd just ask you this question. Mm-hmm. And this came, I think it came from Chalmers. What is the most effectual method of making Christianity? so to bear upon a population as that it shall reach every door and be brought into contact with all families. Hmm. You remember that quote? I do, yeah. yeah. And and that is basically the parish model, isn't it? It is. It is. The, the phrase that we often use is the, you know, the, the faith for all of life. Uh, 
and faith for all people is, uh, is the essence of the Great Commission. It's the essence of all of those great reformers through the history of the church who have uh, grasped and have burned with a passion uh, to win their communities for Christ. And uh, it's, uh, it's the driving force behind the reformation of all of society and life and every discipline of life. Uh, in order to really reach our world, uh, we have to care about the people where they are and we have to reach them where they are. And I'm convinced that the, that the world really is attracted to substance and beauty and goodness and truth. And therefore, our, our preaching, our working, e even things as, as uh, seemingly mundane as, as uh, you know, time over coffee uh, at the local Starbucks or whatever, those need to be filled with substance and, and content and, and beauty and excellence, and sincerity and transparency. And when we can do that, now I think what Chalmers is saying here is we, we, we can't be looking for particular demographics. I mean, one of the things you may have noticed about our congregation is that we, we don't have a narrow demographic. We have rich people. We have poor people. Uh, we have... Uh, we don't have very many rich people, but uh, we have, we've got uh, young people, we've got old people, we've got families with lots of kids, we've got singles. You know, the, the modern church planting model is to aim at a particular demographic and go after that demographic. And uh, I'm convinced that what Chalmers was saying is, no, 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 we're, we're aiming to bring the gospel to everyone. The community. And that means that it's got to be substantive and rich and diverse, and uh, it's, uh, it's, it's got to touch on and be applicable to every arena of life. And you've got to be able to demonstrate how the gospel is applicable to every area of life. So if you focus just on family relations and ignore economics and politics, or if you focus just on economics and politics and ignore education and art and literature, you're just you're you're not going to be able to reach your community. You know, one of the things I noticed when I looked at the bulletin, the handout, is that you all have a lot of church officers, and you have a lot of elders and a lot of deacons, and many hands make light work. And it occurred to me that there are, are there are um, congregations, small church plants and whatnot that. That may have a, a smaller number, maybe only one or two elders, but by virtue of the fact that they don't have enough individuals that are fit for that for that that responsibility yet. But I think it's it's it, it's telling. I, I presume that all the men that you have in your session, they didn't just come in here ready to go. You you there was a good bit of discipleship and pouring in and investing and in, in sharpening these men before they were ready to be uh, ordained and, and added to the session. Yes. We, we are blessed with an extraordinary number of, of really uh, top-flight leadership-type men. And uh, they're just all over the place in the congregation. And we're, we're just blessed with strong leadership. But in order to really fit a congregation for 
substantive kingdom work, you've got to do a lot of training and equipping. And it starts on Sunday mornings. You know, that rich liturgy that you're talking about is a part of discipleship. It's not just worship. We're training people to think biblically, to uh, to realize that uh, there, there is a biblical prescriptive that is applicable to every area of life. Um, one of the things you may have noticed is I bring a lot of books into the pulpit, and I read out of the books. I'm, I'm not quoting little quotes off the Internet. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's to, uh, to build a reading congregation. So... You know, it's it's really important for us to to do the work of reformation, uh, and, uh, and and to pay attention to all of the details that we possibly can uh, in every arena, and and make good application. The other thing that we do is uh, we really uh, we we have sort of a philosophy around here, and that is that our default answer. Uh, to any request, our default answer is yes. M- most churches, the default answer is no. Uh, so we have violin classes that meet in our, our building. Uh, we have homeschool co-ops that meet here. Uh, we have uh, v- various uh, community groups. We've got a, an apologetics group that, that comes and meets here. You know, obviously we want to use discernment. We don't want to embrace things just to embrace things. So, th- you know, the things that we say yes to are the things that are rich and good. But uh, we, you know, we're, we're not trying to control everything and run everything. We believe that that the gospel works you, you drop a stone in a pond and the ripple effects go to the edges. Well, we, we want uh, concentric circles to go out from here to the ends of the earth. We don't want our church to be the, the mechanism for reform in every area of life. We want our people who are fed in our church uh, to go forth and be the mechanism uh, for the transformation of all of life. Well, you're you you you're blessed to be the custodian of a rich heritage and also a, a full orbed view of what your role, what the people's role as the people of God in the community is. So I'm I'm curious. Two questions that are in my mind right now. I know currently you have you you have two services on the Lord's Day. Do you feel that you're looking forward to the day when you can have all one service? Oh yes. Oh yes, not only it's less work, but richer fellowship and more. richer fellowship, and you, can pre- and you can preach twice as long. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, it certainly would make all of our educational uh, tasks easier, and uh, make make the Sunday schedule easier, and it would enable us to do more things. Uh, you know, excellent uh, insulation and uh new approaches to open spaces and is there really any hope ultimately for enacting cultural change through lawmaking if the people's hearts are not there and how do we how do we create that groundswell of heart change within the culture that politicians are compelled to respond to right that's that is the essential question for anyone who's concerned about reform. We cannot, and this is one one of the reasons why I have dear friends who are, you know, deeply invested in all of the doings in Washington, in uh, the incoming administration. They're filled with all kinds of hope 
And, you know, people ask me, you know, what, what do you think about uh, Trump's, you know, cabinet appointments? And I'm kind of going, eh, eh, uh, you know, okay, it, it, that that's nice. It's good. I appreciate the sort of reversal of the last eight years, or uh, some would say the last 16 years. Uh, some would say... Uh, we have to go back all the way to uh, to, to Reagan before we find anything uh, that we can uh, remotely appreciate in Washington. But the truth is, is that if the local church uh, in local communities is not building foundations of faithful, godly men and women, young people who understand the truth of the scriptures and are applying it to their lives. We can pass every law imaginable in Washington or it's not going to make a difference. It will not make a difference long term if we don't have real reformation starting in our churches in the hearts and lives of the people who then move out in concentric circles into the community and change the culture. It's the culture. But the real answer is going to be uh, people who are committed uh, to living their lives in obedience to Christ, in obedience to the law of God, in obedience to uh, the the way of truth and beauty and goodness uh, that the scriptures lay out for us. Uh, there, there are no structural, mechanical means by which we bring about real reformation. Reformation happens as faithful churches proclaim the gospel, uh, dispense the means of grace at every opportunity, and grow up a culture-changing people. Most Reformed congregations tend to be under four or 500. Um, well, that, that is the parish model, is to have a number of smaller, uh, more mobile, flexible congregations that uh, that will uh, saturate a community with a very similar message uh, that, uh, that can really shape the, the culture. So we've been involved in church planting precisely because we believe that, that four smaller churches... Uh, will be more effective than one large church. When you have one large church, uh, you become <clears throat> sort of uh, ingrown yeah, be- because the logistics of dealing with a, uh, a large congregation are v- very complex, requires a tremendous amount of, of money uh, as well as human resources, and so you, you wind up being turned inward uh, to, to a large degree. Now, that's not to say that I think that large churches are bad. Uh, I just think that part of our strategy is to try and have multiple smaller churches. We, we know that church plants have more conversions uh, than established churches, typically. Uh, there's a, a, a level of energy and engagement in a church plant. Everybody has to be involved. Everybody has to help. Uh, you mentioned the large number of, of elders. One of our philosophies if, is if, um, if a job can be done by one, uh, let's get five to do it. And that, that gets more people engaged and more people involved. I think that once you get over about 800, uh, you start to have uh, a, a lot of fringe people who are not well-connected and who are basically passing through.
so you know our goal is you know every time we get to around 500 or so we try and plant another congregation how many have you now now you have cornerstone cornerstone is one we've got a new church plant in spring hill which is the town just south of here oh. uh, that is just underway we've uh, the uh, church planter uh, mike fenema was uh, just brought on uh, to the field a couple of months ago and uh, they've not begun Sunday worship yet. They're still in the Bible study and, you know, small group. Family. What does evangelism look like in a community filled with million dollar homes? Well, it has certainly changed a great deal uh, since the time when I was with Dr. Kennedy and we were doing evangelism explosion, walking down the beach, uh, going uh, through neighborhoods and knocking on every door. Uh, these days, because of a change in our culture, uh, people are not going to welcome you into their homes. You can't just go and knock on the door. So we have to generate uh, opportunities for evangelism through friendship. Uh, you know, some of my best evangelism uh, takes place at Starbucks. You know, it's yeah. You and a bunch of other people have heard this. Thing. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a great place. It's a, a non-threatening place. It's a neutral place. Uh, the other thing is I, um, well, one of the things that I realized about 10 years ago was that I was uh, increasingly uh, isolated from my non-Christian neighbors. I didn't have a means to, to reach them, uh, partly because I had become, in a sense, in, in the community, I was known as Dr. Grant, uh, not George, not you know, Pastor George, just Dr. Grant. And there, there's a sort of a barrier that, that, that exists around that. So I, I have joined a fitness center and a running club. And uh, the, the part of the reason that I'm a part of them is that in, in these places, I'm just that tall, uh, goofy guy, you know, the old guy that uh, tries to act like he's the young guy. And... Um, you know, the real uh, purpose for me to keep me going is it gives me the opportunity to be around my neighbors who don't know Jesus. Yeah. Uh, when we reach out into the community with the intentionality of, uh, of reaching our neighbors uh, with the good news of Christ, uh, that, that's an incredible opportunity for us. I want to feel my own nothingness. Yeah. I want to give myself up in absolute resignation to God till I prostrate and pass at his feet with no other disposition in my heart than that of merging my will into his will. Now that doesn't sound, that almost sounds like Christian pietism or some of the, uh, the, 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 the uh, you know, uh, Valley of Vision uh, mortification and self-loathing of the Puritans well, with, him, the, with himself. One of the things you have to realize about Chalmers was that he was one of the most famous men of his day. He was lauded by everyone. He was a great preacher. He was an influential deal maker. He was involved with innumerable institutions, uh, educational, missional, uh, charitable. And so he was constantly being told how great he was. Hmm. So one of the things, that, that quote actually comes out of his Sabbath scripture readings. Uh, they, they, it's where he prayed through the scriptures. And he's really crying out to God for humility, uh, because he, as he often said, he was uh, trained by his circumstances to love 
the applause of men. And so that, that's, uh, that, that's really a cry to the Lord. Lord, teach me why I need the gospel. What does it mean to be a Christian in a nation where we have government-sanctioned child sacrifice? And as Christians are going out engaging the culture in their workplace, in the classroom, in the park, on the running track, in the, on the golf course, and the, I wondered about evangelism to our culture in front of the abortion mill. Or... The, the beginning place for the turnaround in our nation, as in any nation, is the repentance of God's church. What we've got to do is we've got to stop saying it's all them and start saying, oh, Lord, it is us. We've got to be able to repent first. Uh, and then that repentance should drive us uh, very quickly to uh, the, the, the action that, uh, that the Lord is calling each of us to. I believe that uh, every abortion clinic should have prayer warriors out in front of it every time the doors are open. Uh, and sometimes, when, when even they're not open, uh, there ought to be just a vigil of repentance and prayer. Uh, that, that at a minimum. I think uh, that a, a protest... Uh, is is a good thing because it stigmatizes a place like uh, an abortion clinic, but protesting is not really enough. We need to have the presence of intercessors crying out, "Oh God, forgive us uh, for this horror in our midst." Um, and I, 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 so I think that that is a necessary thing. And then I think what we've got to do is we've got to constantly. Uh, remind our congregations and our communities of what exactly it is that we are doing. It, there doesn't. This is not popular, evidently, in, a, in, in America, unless it has to do with a, a sporting venue or a or a, an entertainment venue. But you notice how, then, in other countries, when there are some sort of uh, uh, law enacted or some policy that's unpopular, people take to the streets in large numbers. Right. You don't have many mass gatherings of Christians. No. It's just not... The left does it. The left does it a lot. And, and there are several reasons for that. Number one, uh, Christians actually have lives. We, we're busy. We're, we're, we've got lives, you know, and so we're, we're involved in stuff. And uh, quite frankly, we... Uh, understand that what happens in Washington is important, but it's not all important. Mm -hmm. And we've oftentimes got better things to do. Uh, I know Christians who, for the last eight years, never watched a single presidential address. Uh, just couldn't handle it. Couldn't handle it. Uh, I, I have great sympathy with, with that. I've, I've uh, tortured myself with a few minutes of in the last eight years, and... I regret even those few minutes. Mm -hmm. So uh, part of it is we, we've got lives, we're, we're engaged in other places, but we've got to realize that there is a war uh, going on. It's a war for the souls of our children. It's a war that is uh, destroying the lives of untold thousands every single day in our nation. And uh, therefore we uh, can no longer be bystanders. We have to be engaged. 
Uh, we need to be praying. We need to be fasting. We need to be standing. We need to be informing. We need to be teaching. We need to be gathering. And we're not. Tell us about your trip to Iraq and give us some prayer requests. Yeah, it's pretty ugly. It's uh, it's an awful situation. Uh, does not have uh, very many pretty possible outcomes. It's uh, an it's just a devastated region. ISIS is a horror. It's like unleashing the demons of hell. Uh, and uh, they, they have wrecked incredible destruction all across Syria and Iraq. Uh, we have three classical Christian schools in northern Iraq, large schools. Uh, one in Duhuk, one in Erbil, and one in Sulaymaniyah. Uh, they've been uh, functional for um, uh, about 10 years now. And so we're turning out uh, hundreds of young people that have Christian worldviews uh, among the Kurds. This is far in the north. Uh, we also have now three schools in refugee camps uh, that uh, were just established this last year and is anything but prayer keeping them out of the crosshairs of ISIS? Uh, nothing, nothing but prayer and and the Peshmerga. We need so. to pray that God will make them invisible to their enemies. Amen, amen. We have had one martyr, uh, one one of my sons in the faith, a young young teacher, was just incredibly effective. Jeremiah Small uh, was killed in the classroom, and uh, it was really horrific. Uh, circumstance, but you know when when we go into the midst of trouble, um, that we'll find trouble, and so you know we've got to be willing to go to the battle. Uh, people were asking me, you know, why, why on earth are you going to Iraq? Is is the situation stable? Well, no, situation is not stable, um, but. Uh, we're, uh, we're, we're doing our very best to uh, penetrate the place of uh, greatest darkness. So pray for us. Pray for our teachers. Pray for our missionaries who are there. I have another one of my sons in the faith who is uh, uh, r running the, the operation of the refugee camp school. All right. Well, uh, Dr. Pastor George Grant, thank you for joining us here today on The War Room. Thank you for joining us in the war room. Please enjoy The Nation's Rage, Psalm 2, by my soul among lions. Why do the nations rage? Why do the peoples plot and faint? Seeking to rid themselves of Christ's dominion, a theme that's true in any Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete weekly lineup of eight distinct podcasts. Starting on Sunday, setting the record straight with pastors Gordon Runyon, Jason Garwood, and Joseph Randall Spurgeon. Mondays, the Post Mill Report with Nathan F. Conkey. Tuesdays, Acts to the Root with Bojidar Marinov. Wednesdays, the Hellraiser Report with Scott Allen Buss. Thursdays, the War Room 
with Bill Evans and Jason Sanchez. Fridays, Once Dead, where Christians give testimonies of God's grace upon their lives. And Saturdays, Restoring America One County at a Time lectures with Joel McDermott. And our new podcast, No Neutrality, with various contributors. Please don't forget to subscribe to each individual podcast or the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where you will get all of the content we produce, including our free audiobooks. Don't forget to go to reconstructionistradio.com to volunteer as a narrator and to partner with us financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His kingdom.